another episode of the Fraud Boxer Podcast. Uh, I have an interesting one today. Brand new, brand new episode full of lots and lots of, of answers to a lot of questions that I think are going to be on our minds a lot um, relating to uh, ATOs and 2FA. So I'm joined today by the wonderful Justin Sung from Signal. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks, Jordan. I'm pumped to be here and uh, to chat all things uh, security and, and it's yeah. a big of mine. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to tell you how how we got here and how you i mean you and i know how we got here but i want to take the audience kind of through the walk that we had to get to this point uh, because you and i were unfamiliar with each other before we kind of started down this path of doing this podcast episode together but i had a colleague at here at my company iherb um, which is where i'm the, the senior director of fraud prevention at uh, he had reached out to me i've worked on a lot of products or projects with him he's our product manager and he was um, complaining that he had had a, an experience with grubhub where his account was taken over and some orders were placed and he was attempting to cancel those orders. They hadn't even been fulfilled yet. Um, and he was kind of just complaining that there was a, a lack of 2FA on that particular app because it probably would have led to him not having to, to stress out about it. Ends up that Grubhub was not able to cancel those orders. So it came down to him trying to get refunds from them. But he reached out to me with this this problem and, and said that I uh, maybe I should do a podcast about it, uh, talk about it, because I do think it's something that that a lot of us, we, we experience, we know exists, uh, but we don't really know how or why or, or some of the best practices um, or, or how to even get to these things. I think a lot of, of, of companies kind of implement like what they just are available quick and easy in the marketplace, you know, things like Google captchas and stuff like that, um, SMS notifications. So I think um, I would love to, after I put out the, the feelers on, on LinkedIn, I was connected with you and I'd love to kind of just talk about you, who you are, um, your company and what you do. Of course, you know, I always like to go into my, my guest history a little bit. It provides a little context and content for my, my podcast and, and gets people to kind of understand the man on the other side of the mic. So yeah, if you could, Hey, just do your whole intro all about you. And, uh, we'd love to hear about it. Thanks Jordan. Um, and look at, I think our mutual connection made, uh, uh, a bit of a connection online when you put a post up on LinkedIn and um, it was uh, a, a chap named uh, Dakin uh, who I actually have have known for the past few years because of account takeovers. Uh, so it comes full circle and I'm great that he's linked us in. Uh, yeah. Online. I will say um, he, he, he was like one minute after I posted, he was there like sharing your contact info. So it was very quick. So thank you, Dakin, for doing that because I didn't know if we wanted to say your name out there just in case, but thank you for putting us together. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, great. Um, look, back back to where it all began. Um, I've been an engineer by my craft, so I I cut code and and um, listen to product managers and help companies scale over the last decade. And I've been typecasted, I guess, if you will, if you'd like to call that, as a the engineer that loves fintech and loves payments. Um, and I've been uh, working at a stock exchange for a while and moved on to peer-to-peer -peer lending when it was big and all the rage and worked in one of the biggest ones um, outside of Lending Club in, in this part of the world here in Australia, New Zealand, where I live. Um, and then all of a sudden, payments just took off. Um, you know, cast your minds back to maybe about five years ago, there was a phenomenon called buy now, pay later. Oh, yeah. Uh, we, we all probably have used it or have not have heard about it or have no people that used it. So I fell into to buy now, pay later uh, from my previous fintech experience, um, helping build Afterpay, which uh, recently got sold to, to Block. Um, and from then on being CTO of another smaller um, BNPL. Now, look, everyone's fraud journey is different, but I think everyone can agree, I think, uh, you don't go to university yeah. <laughs> uh, planning to to know all about fraud and about the cr criminal underworld. You, you learn because you're in the trenches. Yep. And throughout this experience with working with multiple fintechs, what I found was as a fintech scales and grows, great, you get good customers coming through and doubling month on month. But the, the inverse of that was bad actors and people that are trying to exploit your system also follows that trend yeah. and you know um not to go into specifics but when you're in payments you're a big target and 
I walked into a role where I had to learn from scratch and build teams and build tools. Um, and what I found throughout this process was it's difficult. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. the crazy thing about like, like payment specifically is, you know, we've, I think you hit the nail on the head is like over the last five, 10 years, uh, mostly the last five, there's been quite a, a overhaul of, of how payments are done in the industry. So we started with like, you know, you had like the big disruptor was like the wallets and the Apple Pays. That was like the first one to kind of get people away from credit cards. But then you had the BNPLs. You have all these different types of, of wallets, different types of rewards, things that are coming out. Basically, you know, even like in my company right now and I heard we have 39 different payment methods that we take. And that, that comes down to things like picks, you know, like um, grab pay. Um, all like the, the the WeChat, WePay things, you know, the the Yandex stuff. Like, there's so many different ways to transfer money from from one person to a company or one person to another person. And I think a lot of good things have come out of that. You know, of course, like the the peer to peer payment space, like the the Zells, the Venmos, the Cash Apps, has has made it a lot easier to like you know pay for your pay for your friends things or or, or get reimbursed for things quicker. And, and that's already sped up payments, which was always a big a big thing. But with that has come the rise of of these whole new attack vectors. And I think like right now, especially in the U.S., uh, the Zelle scams are like really, really popular right now. And they're successful, you know, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. So you see like the, the government trying to put a lot of pressure on on the banks that are partnered in, in Zelle to try and, and fix those sorts of things. I see notices everywhere on all over my like every time I ever try to make a legitimate Zelle payment, I get like 50 different banners over there. that says you want to do it. But the 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 way that payments and, and payment transfers has, has been changing over the last five years, especially into the pandemic, you know, we were all at home trying to figure out how to move money around has been really, really, really crazy. It's been moving fast. And with that has come like just these, these attacks that nobody thought of, nobody planned on. And like you said, being in the trenches is, is the only way to really find it and then find out how to solve it. And solving it with technology is really going to be our only hope at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. And look, the trend for the last five years was to make everything easy for the customer, right? Uh, you know, whether it's uh, getting your money paid instantly into your account or getting your iHerb uh, meds uh, or your supplements yeah. at your doorstep in a matter of hours or you know, things like Amazon Prime and, and what uh, with the likes of those. So look, like you said, it, it just opens a, um, you know, a new vector and, and it allows the, the, you know, cyber criminals to to previously had the you know slow settlement and clearing processes like like yeah. AC processes where you could potentially stop a payment going out. It's it's so fast these days. Yeah, I think that like you know while we were trying to solve for that, and I think that we have, but I think that, that there was better ways that we could have gone about it. We could have definitely had um, the banks be more involved on the technology side instead of having third parties try and bridge the gap and kind of like float these money between the things. I know Zelle kind of plugged that space because it was like a partnership between a bunch of the large banks. But uh, it seems like, like you said, like the ease of it is to make it as easy as possible. You can put a phone number and you can put an email, you know, it's like how many different ways can you get it? But then there was a lot of things where like, it's harder to change the email um, or the phone number that's associated with that account. It could go to wrong, the wrong person. If you type in one wrong number, uh, but then things like the QR codes that you get like with with Venmo, where you could like put a sticker over the top of, of somebody else's one, you know, and get your your money transferred to you. Then it then it leads to like when the ease of the payments then starts to come back the other direction, where like if I try to pay somebody new on Venmo using their QR code, it's gonna ask me to ask them for the last four digits of their their phone number to to validate them and make sure that like I really know where they are. And it's just, we start, we start introducing friction again. And so we, we tried to make it super easy, made it too easy. And then now we got to come back. And that's why I think like there's companies like you where you can kind of, for companies like me, help me change and, and kind of customize that journey for my individual customers based on the level of friction that I want. Right. Is that, is that kind of what you guys are up to? That's right. And really, you know, it's 2023 and, it's amazing how we've gone for millennia and trust is still a big problem. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, we still can't trust each other as a, as a, as a human race. Uh, we know just, more like, about each other than a at any other point in human history with our oversharing online. We know more about other cultures than ever before in history. And every culture still has those people that you can't trust. <laughs> yeah. Well, the interesting, I guess, point of where we're at 
from a technology standpoint is you know i'm gonna i'm gonna raise the word that you know people aren't saying that much these days because of certain certain um certain acronyms or, or people that have been in the news i'm gonna put out the word blockchain in this oh oh is that mean my podcast is gonna tank now <laughs> yeah uh, yeah no no it's going to the moon i, I guarantee you that um but really there is a you know that we've we've unlocked conversations that around decentralization around normalizing things like transaction signing and normalizing things like private keys you know i i wouldn't have you know i know i know a grandma that knows what a private key is in 2023 and you know you wouldn't expect that in you know 5 years ago so i think we're in an interesting space where consumers are now really aware of their rights as 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 uh you know individuals within the, the government system that they know that there's technology there to protect them and they're you know now and and now that they know that there's technology and they know that their rights to to the for institutions keep their data and their money safe we're we're in an awesome place where consumers can drive the change for their own security and what I'm really interested in is not to tell people all about blockchain and how they need to write a private key and stash it under their pillow at night, but really how do we get to that yeah. point where in the next five or 10 years, everyone is comfortable with signing a transaction with, with dealing with people and businesses. Now we've got to take a few steps back to, to get there and, you know, jumping straight at that at crypto is is uh, great for the geeks uh, or those who want to trade NFTs. But we do need to think about accessibility. We need th- we do need to th- to seriously think about how how customers on board and making it easy for them, and then adjusting to the risk uh, as they transact mm-hmm. with your company. Um, if you want to bring someone on board, and if you turn them away with forms to fill and steps to undertake before they can do a $5 transaction, you're doing it wrong because trust is built. So, um, you know, we're interested in helping folks and businesses to change their mindsets around how they establish trust with their customers. And it's not a kitchen sink and binary approach. And often we see things like MFA or 2FA, it's either on or off and you either have full control over it or you don't. Um, and with our signal, with our platform, we're giving a no-code rules engine. And what makes us different is that we're really interested in the customer experience and what the user sees. There's a lot of vendors that that sell different tools that that are quote unquote no-code and low-code. Yeah. We want to complete the loop completely so that you've set and you put us in, and you don't have to think about the customer experience. It all just works. So let's let's kind of go back a little bit in because hopefully hopefully the people that um listen to my podcast know what 2FA is and MFA is but they might not <laughs> um so 2FA MFA multi-factor authentication two-factor authentication is uh, most people i think that would be listening to this podcast if you don't know what it is would be examples of you try and sign into your online bank and it sends you a text message with a code and then you have to enter that code or it sends you an email with a code and then you have to enter that code or it sends you an email with a link and you have to click on that link um, and do it. And there's there's a couple of different types like uh, outside of that, you know, obviously those are terms. There's there's apps like um, uh, Google Authenticator, um, you know, Duo, all those fun things that, that that could do it and push it to mobile devices versus pushing it to SMS because SMS can be sim. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but the reason that it exists and at the end of the day was to try and stop, as we all know, ATOs, account takeovers, people trying to gain access two accounts that they aren't really supposed to be in. And it looks historically, fundamentally, it's supposed to look at certain pieces of information about the thing and then and then basically prompt you for a, a security password through these sorts of things. Now, I think what, what kind of gone away over the last few years with it is it kind of just was overused. Does that make sense? Like it's just encountered in places where it might not necessarily, like, like websites that, that, you wouldn't think would require it or kind of like requiring it. And I get like, they don't want any sort of ATO and people claim fraud and people claim like uh, my account was hacked all the time, but the, it seems like the main sites that, that should be asking for it 
don't and the ones that shouldn't be asking for it do and then there's also like the forms of like the passive 2fa where it's like it, it logs in i think google does this does this a lot too if you don't use their their authenticator to get in but like it logs in it says hey we notice they log in from this device over this ip address if everything's okay ignore it and then if it's if if not click here you know and then go into it so in your world, if you could um, kind of run me through like some of the the, the different types of, of MFA, 2FAs that, that you are aware of and maybe some of the goods, some of the bads, if you could about those, like if you have if you have time to talk about that, because I think that my, my listeners would be kind of interested in that, because a lot of times people think that getting an SMS message with a number like there could be no wrong with that. Right. There's nothing that could ever go wrong with that. It has to be bulletproof. But if you could like just kind of share your thoughts on this. Yeah, great. And. Really, it has to begin with this. You know, you have to start with a single factor, uh, with, with any two-factor conversation. And it's funny how um, the simple passphrase, and you know, as kids, we learn of the story of uh, saying "Open Sesame" to a a rock or you know, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. I don't know if kids still get get told that story, but you know, it's it's a, it's it's been around <laughs> a secret phrase that only you know. Um, has been around for a long time and we've inherited and bled it into the way we deal with the web uh, and web 1.0 and 2.0 uh, where for a long time it's what you know and, and that's typically counted as one factor and it's your your password or your passphrase. Uh, mine's not open sesame by the way so don't go trying it's that open out. sesame one isn't it <laughs> one two three with an exclamation mark but you know in, in the early days of the web, banks started realizing and got hit pretty badly through account takeover attacks because people reuse passwords and write, and the most commonly used password is password. Um, so, um, you know, the, the nature and the, 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 uh, of human psychology and, and how we work mean that we're going to just keep reusing passwords over and over and over again. And this is where uh, the birth of, the, of, of multi or, or a secondary factor on top of what you know um, to then log you in or to approve or authorize something. And look, for a long time, SMS um, is, is what we're very used to um, and all the banks use it. And uh, But there's a big problem. Um, I personally think that we're in a kind of a Y2K moment. There's a few reasons for SMS that, you know, to begin with, sucks because, you know, I, I talk to folks all uh, who, who travel a lot and the minute they get outside of in roaming you know, of their network with their, their network provider, they can't get their codes and they can't transfer money and do business. So from the outset, the implementation of SMS is ill-considered for the customer experience in a global world. So, for, you know, uh, regardless of, of, of it being a factor to stop bad people, you're you're making your good customers' lives very difficult the minute they they step on a plane and go somewhere else. Um, but nowadays, look, we know that SMS is a unencrypted communications channel. It goes through networks and telecommunications channels unencrypted. That already is a red flag when it comes to security. Um, in fact, some of the big um, attacks that happened last year, won't mention names, but involved a big SMS provider and a, a also a very big infrastructure company was due to the fact that SMS was weren't un, uh, unencrypted and someone managed to bounce their way into an SMS's provider, provider's dashboard and literally read those codes out as, from the dashboard. As they're going, yeah. Yeah, that's and, that's what I think that that you know that's something that we've been trying to say for a long time is SMS is not secure, it's just not secure. And then like so then they're like, well, they started trying to push emails, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we can we can go on and on about SMS, but for these two things alone, from from just your customer experiences, and by the way, some SMSs just don't get to your phone. I'm sure. I'm sure everyone. I get the experience. delays. All the time, like five, 10 an hour later, I'll finally get that message. I'm like, thank you. Totally don't oh, need yeah. that anymore. <laughs> I, I couldn't log into to a social media profile uh, one one day, one weekend. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I couldn't I couldn't put up photos of, of my weekend uh, just because I didn't get a text message. So um, look, poor customer experience, one unencrypted channel. And also, um, look, there, there's some attacks which have uh 
become very, very prevalent. Uh, it, it's called SIM swap fraud or a SIM swapping. And it involves basically um, exploiting the fact that you can change phones and change SIMs because, you know, that happens. You know, I could lose my phone, drop it in the lake, and I need to buy a new phone and put a new SIM in. And that process is, is legitimate. But unfortunately, these yeah. business processes also open a new vector into uh, being able to swap phone numbers. And um, the incentives for telco operators and their support staff aren't aligned to, to keeping this process tight and secure. So what happens is um, I can potentially uh, approach a, an operator's employee and say, hey, look, I'm going to give you $1,000 if you can get me to swap Elon Musk's, uh, you know, phone number. I think that's happened before. Um, and 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 there's very some high profile targets with SIM swap. So look, it's um, there's so many operators out there. You cannot. It's not bulletproof. And you know, for if there weren't any other more reasons to add onto the list, uh, I think you should be put off SMS by now, and, and at least demanding that your bank you know change as, as soon as possible. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. Um, uh, I think the like the sim swapping stuff like plays hand in hand with like the social engineering too. Is like where people can like there's so much information out there. Like I said earlier about all of us on the web that you can get so, like, guess people's security questions and things like that. And especially like with the uh, Equifax gave everybody our uh, social security numbers here in the U.S. so that we can uh, you can call up those T-Mobile reps and provide that information and then start to say, hey, I got a new SIM card by the way. Here's my new SIM card number, please go ahead and port this uh, number over to the SIM card and I'll, off I go. And then all of a sudden I have all your your SMS notifications coming in from your bank. I can approve your wire transfers. I can approve anything that you want for your for your Capital One account. Uh, I, I do have a story kind of about that that I wanted to share um, yeah. about social engineering and calling a rep and how awful it was for SMS. Um, so a couple months back, I would say probably actually last summer, uh, I had just got a new, the new city American express executive card. The one that comes with like the, uh, lounge access and all that, uh, was loving it for like about five minutes. Um, uh, I was, I was trying to figure out if I should move away from Delta and start flying American or not, but I, uh, got the card. I, I traveled to, um, I traveled to Houston with it. Um, I live in orange County, California. So I have traveled to Houston with it. I'm talking like the first weekend I got it, pay for the hotels, Paid for food, paid for dinners everywhere, uh, came back home. And then I went to my local Best Buy to buy a new TV for the house and a speaker, uh, a Sonos speaker. And I got fraud, frauded while using chip the chip, dip the chip at Best Buy. So I opened the app thinking that it would be a sophisticated enough app at City that it would be able to, I could approve, you know, or, or deny the transaction through like a, thing no it said uh i had to call their fraud number so get this them so i call the fraud number give them all the relevant information to this just this regular customer service rep on the phone and she's like okay i have to prove it's your identity so i'm going to send you a text message what is the number that you would like me to send the text message to she asked me the number and i said right on the phone i'm like you're asking me the phone number you should use only the phone number on the account I was like, if I could, I could, like, I could give you any number ever right now, and that would authenticate it. She had no idea what I was talking. She just wanted me off the phone. So I gave her my phone number. And sure enough, she sent me the message. She unlocked the, the card. She said, it didn't work. Long story short, I no longer have that credit card after multiple failed and locked attempts. And they actually went to the point where they wanted to, in order to unlock the card, they wanted to run my credit again. And I was like, what is that going to prove? Like I have the card here. Then they're like, well, we could send you a snail mail with a code. So that's like 2FA gone bad in so many ways. You want to send me snail mail. You ask me for a number to send an SMS to. Like I could just easily so social engineer literally anybody at City right now, like without even trying if I had just a little bit of their information. So yeah, that's just my bad time. So I hate SMS. Yeah. <laughs> Again, this reminds that... Uh... Uh, the, the listeners, especially if you're listening ten in ten years in advance, we are in 2023, and this is still happening. Yeah, and like we have the technology, like we have. So this is where I think where, where I would really want to talk about like your particular company because I feel like you guys are are 
customizing the the two-factor experience so i know we didn't talk about like push and puzzles like for just before we go into the like like into your specific stuff like there's other things everybody like we're like right now my company when i log into my okta um it sends a push to an application on my phone i then open that application and i hit the button and i cannot change that to a new phone or anything without contacting my my it department directly myself and going through a process in order to do that there's no self-help on that which it's it's cumbersome but it keeps my company's data safe by not allowing me to switch it willy nilly. And I couldn't just go grab a phone off the street and change it. Like I have to call in, they have to do some stuff, whatever they got to do. And then I get, I get that. And the same thing with Google authenticator where they want you to do backup codes. You can't just like move it from phone to phone. You have to actually do hard backup codes. Um, otherwise you have to go through extra steps that um, probably aren't going to get you the same thing. You have to pretty much undo any Google authenticator 2FA that you have on the account side before adding a new one and starting over again. And then there's the puzzles, which are I think are more for bot prevention than they are necessarily for for stopping people from from getting your account. Um, like uh, some of the the Chinese wholesaler sites like DHgate and Alibaba have those little puzzles that you slide the thing over. Um, I used to use it for on my blog post for um, people to leave comments. They had to solve a puzzle first. Um, I mean, people are getting a little clever with these things. Yeah, no, go ahead. sometimes it's easy and sometimes I just don't know where the motorcycle is, you know? Yeah, like that. that's what, did you ever see that? Um, there's a, a a video about Sony PlayStation and it's the uh, the hardest PlayStation game ever. And it's a guy just trying to do Google reCAPTCHA like again and again and again. And it just, he does like a hundred of them and he just can't get it right no matter what, like a piece of the bus is missing. And it's like, do um traffic lights and it has a light but it also has like a little lamp on the side and he's like is this the light like it's an excellent video on youtube like check that out sometime <laughs> look yeah. so with your particular company um i always thought the the best way to handle 2fa is on a case-by-case basis and because there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach and everybody has different and i think that if you are able to fire 2fa when needed or when you think it might be a good step up authentication, it could be better than just firing 2FA for all. And then having different types of 2FA um, for different scenarios. So um, is that something that you guys do? And yeah, talk about just, it. yeah, totally love to share. And, and I'll sh- t- share with our listeners the brainwave, right? So I, I was an engineer CTO in my last job and we got around the table and we go, hey, look, the time has come where we need to seriously think about 2FA on our payment screen. Um, and especially in B2C businesses, when you're interacting with a wide range of audiences, it's not as simple as just putting it on login. You know, we, when we, you know, we're, we were very customer centric and it just unraveled. The requirements that came out of our little group of, of product uh, engineers and, and owners and, and, coming together, went from, let's put it from login to, let's make sure that if you're logging in for the first time we do it, to if you're logging for the first, second time and we've seen your device before and you're doing a transaction over the $1,000, that's when we want to, to step up. And all of a sudden these requirements start unraveling and becoming so big where, hold on, you know, I'm, you know, our business, we're selling shoes here. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are we building this infrastructure? To, to deal with MFA. So when you go out to market and look at the solutions that are out there, it's predominantly baked into your login system or an identity provider system or uh, another acronym for it is a consumer identity access management system or a SIAM tool, like an Okta, like an Auth0. And they're, they're really great at securing the session, which yeah. is your login. But where they fall short is giving the flexibility to businesses who care about things like transactions, things like moving money across to people to make those interactions secure. And by the way, just to inform listeners, the login isn't secure anymore. A lot of the attacks that we're seeing, um, and it gives MFA a bad rep because it's not MFA that's the problem, is called session hijacking. So what they do is, you log in with a with your username, password, and and a token or a code that you punched in. Great. The system assumes that you're all good. What 
bad actors are doing, they're stealing that session and selling it on the dark web because, hey, look, it's it's been MFA'd. I can trust the session. Um, and we're seeing huge attacks in that, that factor, which brings to light the importance of making sure that we you know, start gravitating to and being very comfortable with authorizing transactions at the point of the transaction. And I love to, to change the, the attitudes here because it's, it's not about stopping bad people. It's about giving the best experiences for your good customers so that you can trust them and give them more services and give them more ability to move, like for example, in a payments space, spend their money in different ways on different products without needing to call someone. Um, and, and as you know, we're in the business and our tool set as a product helps platforms to drop in such functionality from uh, a single API call that will give you all access to the data points. Um, for example, if you've logged in from a device before or and how you know the size of the transaction, so that you can orchestrate the right levels of authentication outside of the login flow. Um, and in, in a nutshell, that's what we do. And we offer a out-of-the-box solution. There's no need to, to bring product designers in. It just works. Uh, and that, you know, to, to close my story out, I wished I had a tool like that yeah. a few years ago so that we just didn't spend our time thinking of building the perfect solution and just buying something off the shelf. Yeah, I think so. You you mentioned that you do like the no code, low code thing. Um, so I'm assuming that it, it comes in at the CDN level, right? Um, we come in through like your DevOps team, do a little deploy out to your Cloudflare or your whatever it may be. Um, and, and then you can kind of, can you call your service mid-session? So if someone like, let's say someone password, password's in and then they're doing something, then you see some behavior kind of go weird. Like at, they go in, they're trying to change a password. Could you then prompt MFA there? Could you can you basically choose to to do whatever we want anywhere on the site? Pretty much. Yeah, we've recently done an implementation where um, it's done through your page name. So you know, you know, slash checkout slash withdraw, and you know, we have a concept of an action in our system, and it could be anything. Uh, it could be a browsing to a page or clicking on a button. So um, if you have engineers, great. Uh, you can drop us in through code. But if you have a CDN like a Cloudflare, you can also call, call us in there. But more importantly, um, by having a no-code service, you can give our rules engine to a fraud analyst or a fraud manager to go, hey, look, we're seeing an influx of gift card fraud at the moment. Let's step up for this okay. week. So, because so, it's like drag yeah. and drop, right? Like I can put it in. Yeah. Hey, can you yeah, choose the different types? So look, yeah, you can, and and really, it's up to how you've integrated it. Um, so if you uh, put in, you know, if we talk about scheme and credit card terminology, like MCC codes, and and you've got an MCC code that, or a merchant code, or a credit card type, um, if you send that data to us. We can then analyze it and then put it through the rules engine and give you a decision on whether to challenge the customer or not. We've also got flags, right? Standard review flags if you really want to put put pain on your customers to, to ring you up. So we've got those flags as well. But ultimately, uh, we're building up a suite so that good customers can always get themselves out of a bad situation and ultimately not ever have to ring up. Uh, or contact support to to get their account back on track. Now that's an interesting idea, right there. Like having a way that a customer can dig themselves out of a hole. Like I think that, like like I was mentioning earlier, like the hard stop that happens with like even my company. If I was to lose my phone and have to get a new one, you know, like it's a lot. But but I'm a I'm more of a, a customer of my own company type thing. You know, if I had millions of people that I was trying to have do that, that would probably get pretty annoying to have them ringing up customer service all the time. But I do, I'm a big fan of like self-help. I think that a lot of companies these days are trying to use chat bots to help people self-help themselves um, out of bad situations. Don't know how the, that's working <laughs> as well as like we'd all wanted it to, but yeah. Look, when you take a use case of moving money or sending money to someone or receiving money, it's time sensitive. 
you know, you need that money to pay someone else and yeah. or you pay someone. I don't need it a week from now. I need it today. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to be sent a Google Hangouts link to prove who, you know, who I was. So we're working with a range of partners, uh, which we're announcing in the next couple of, of weeks that actually help facilitate account recovery flows. So we're very interested to, to connect with any kind of merchant or business that are struggling yeah. with at the moment you know, maybe sending Google Hangout links and you're probably in deep down inside knowing that's not sustainable. Um, you know, we're you know building a suite of workflows and automations outside of just 2FA as well. So I'm happy to, happy to connect. Yeah, it looks like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm checking out the website here again here and you even have your own authenticator app too, huh? Um, so no, we actually work with the Google authenticator app and oh. our big gripe in the market is Every so a lot of solutions force you to download their own app, whether it's a Duo app or an Opera app or Microsoft app. Yeah. You know, yeah. I want to own my customer experience. I've got my own app, and I don't want to tell my customers to download another. That's app a great point. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Like I like I was just I was having flashbacks because like in my morning I have to do three different apps for three different authentications to get my day going. You know, I have to do like the Okta Verify, I have to do the Duo, and then I have to do an Authenticator. Uh, and that sucks. <laughs> I, I would really love, like if I was on like a website, if I could log into my own company's website here, you know, on even our own side, like, but if I was just trying to like get my own account recover, like have that whole process be like feel native would be really cool. Like, yeah. Like and the we're, push we're... comes from my app, yeah. Yeah, no, customers love that, you know, and you're keeping them engaged within your app as well. And by the way, I just want to add our platform is drop in. We're not trying to force you to do a big migration to another identity platform. We work with the Microsoft, with the Auth Zeros, with the Optus um, of this world. And, and that really resonates with our customers. Uh, they, they have a sigh of relief and they go, you, what do you mean I don't have to, to um, change my whole identity stack. I can just augment it and, and they get really excited and, and uh, it's happy. It's, it's great to be able to one solve a problem I had a few years ago and seeing delight in our customers. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we kind of, we kind of been touching a little bit. We kind of give it dancing around like what the, the password list and the friction list is, you know, um, there's a, a lot of the things that we've been talking about here I relate to password lists, you know, like sometimes it, it comes after the password. Sometimes it, it's in lieu of the password. Like, like when you try to sign in, you get like a code. I know Shopify has been a, a real good uh, thing these days of, of pushing a number instead of having you sign in. Uh, so it goes to like whatever your email is or your SMS, which we've been talking about a million times. But I thought that was a really cool way um, because I feel like we're right on the cusp of this password list world. Uh, and like, can you kind of just talk a, a couple of minutes about like what your thoughts are on that and what yeah. that might look like? Because that would be super cool too. Well, it's a no-brainer, right? Like uh, we need to get away from open sesame and password uh, very, very quickly. And there's two kind of big drivers that I see that you know we're seeing a bit of a, a big shift towards passwordless. The big players are, are coming on board. So you've got Apple and Google trying to create layers on top of a, uh, a standard called FIDO2 WebAuthn, which a lot of phones and, and browsers now have and augmenting their um, layer to make it easier for people to adopt these passwordless technologies. So for, for viewers, it's using the fingerprint reader on your, on your device, it's using the face ID on your iDevice to, to essentially get yourself in. And we're familiar with it on native apps, but we're not, we, we haven't seen that proliferate web apps, which is actually still yeah. the biggest place where passwords are used. So, um, the advent of these pass keys from Google and Apple is going to change the game, uh, which brings, I guess, the next question for platforms. How do, you, how do you onboard customers to this? You know, not everyone wants to opt in. Yeah. Uh, it took a long time has... for Touch ID yeah. to even get adopted. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we love interoperability. That's a, that's a phrase that we use a lot. And, and look, the, it is a slow march to a world without passwords. I think we just got to admit that. But the way yeah. you do that 
is to convert people and give them give educate customers that they should be converting into passwordless technologies on you know from from even the simplest ones like SMS to the exciting world of passkeys and using biometrics. Yeah. So it's a spectrum. I'm excited about it. We support it natively out of the box through our platform. If you want to give the option of your savvy customers, the, you know, the ability to use security keys and your face ID in your app right now, you can by dropping us in. And if you have customers that just want to rely on old school SMS, uh, you know, with a big caveat and big star and asterisks, you can. And and being able to to shift and migrate customers towards the passwordless future is, I think, the biggest effort. Um, you know, for platforms in the next couple of years. So, with your guys's technology, would I be able to, if, as like as an app owner, kind of let my customers pick their own journey of how they want authentication, like just there in real time, and just dropping it in, huh? Correct. They can choose which ones they want by default. They can choose their backup methods. Uh, we generate recovery codes. So all the good things that, unfortunately, that the, the bad rep that MFA has doesn't come from the technology itself, but the implementation of it. Yeah. Um, for enterprise customers, you know, fine. You're an employee. You know, you're gonna have to log into three different apps a day. That's just how it's gonna be. I understand yeah, that. You're one. gonna yeah. have to. to to deal with that and, and turn up to work and get your paycheck. But for consumers, there's choice. The platforms that give customers choice around their privacy, their data, and their money is going to win the battle, all while keeping their, their fraud and financial crime low. And that is what we're really passionate about. There are no, you know, to get to that Nirvana state involves engineers and people around a table talking about it. We've solved that problem for you. I've done the thinking for you. Our team has done the thinking for you. Just put us in knowing that you're giving your customers the options that they deserve. Excellent. Um, one last thing, and then I kind of will, will, will do a, the, the finale that I always do about about trends. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about friction. I've, I said it just before we started talking about this password list stuff. Do you guys um, allow uh, the the merchant themselves to, to kind of do a frictionless journey that it, to an extent you know where for the most part there's authentication happening behind the scenes that then you could tell yeah you don't need to do anything because we 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 could see it's this person so basically you're doing the frictionless authentication so with merchants in particular one of the things that we've done is card on file <laughs> we we love it's it's a yeah. love-hate relationship right like great save your card and and where you go one one click checkout now, what we've seen, we've got one customer actually now implementing us as the only way to authorize a card and file payment is through a, a passwordless flow. So okay. if you check out, you will be put through a, you know, a passwordless flow and your card on file is connected to that authentication factor. Now, they've seen it as actually not a state of friction. They've turned it around and They've gone, hey, look, I can actually confidently put one click without yeah. all the other costs and, and vendors that you need to, to buy. And it can go into the hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, just because we've offered a really simple, you know, Shopify starting to do it. And as we adopt these face IDs, imagine one click on using your face uh, and buying something. And, and we're seeing this at, you know, through, through, through some of the Amazon Go stores where you can just pick up. Uh, an orange juice and just walk out. Yeah, you know, online should be as easy. I, you know, that's I, that's a really good way to put it because I tell you all the time, like, and I use it whenever I'm talking about like wallets and and where we're where we're at in the current reality with wallets is like when I'm sitting on the couch and I only have my mobile device and I see something that I want. If you don't have a payment method offered that doesn't require me to get up and go find my wallet, I'm not going to buy it. But if you have something that makes it easy and quick for me just to check out without having to, to get up, like I'm probably going to buy it. I can't tell you how many times I've abandoned the cart just on like little, little uh, Instagram ads, you know, like something I see that's clever, but I get in there, you know, and it's supposed to be all like Apple pay offer, PayPal offer and all those things. But if they don't offer those things, usually I'm a little skeptical of the shop to begin with. But uh, I just think like if we, if we had those things, like, especially like, um, 
sites where, where time is of the essence to make a purchase, like where there's a countdown because there's a finite number of something that if I could have my vaulted credit card just unlock and hit, be ready to go because it knows it's me instead of having to go find it and enter my three digits or whatever I have to do. Now, coming from the fraud and payment space, I understand why that's required and why they want to do that. But at the end of the day, like if I could just like I'm buying some some concert tickets or something and I could just be done with that transaction in a second by some sort of passive authentication or some biometric authentication, like now we're talking, you know, versus having to yeah. enter actual data. So totally understand and you that. Have no chargebacks. It's it's zero chargeback, which is everyone's dream, right? Yeah, I would I'd say that is everyone's dream. And I wish that we could get the banks to really understand our bomb. I think they're gonna do it with compelling evidence 3.0, but I'm skeptical still because I've I've lived through compelling evidence 2.0 and saw how well that worked out for us. Um <laughs> okay, so uh as we wrap this up, this has been very efficient. I really like it. I think that people are really gonna to like seeing where the world is going with authentication. Uh, because I think we all do kind of know where we are. And I think that having a, a to, for us to know that there's a future plan and that there's something else out there coming and, and that's available right now, everybody, if you just call off signal uh, and I will put all of your contact information, all the requests, the demo stuff um, in the, the body of this. So don't worry, everybody, there will be lots and lots of information on how to get a hold. So you can try this out on your own site. Um, but I do want to say particularly in 2023, Everybody that I have on my podcast, I do try and ask, like, what are the, the top three trends happening in their own world? Because everybody's different. Everybody, I have people from all these different backgrounds. So in your particular world, what are the top three trends that you think are going to be happening for 2023? Yeah, well, no, we can go as broad, but look, the, the pass keys and password lists, I think it's going to become commonplace in 2023. Um, it's going to get to the point where your grandmother is going to talk to you about setting it up on her phone. So it, it, that's I hope great. So. Um, we're very excited for that. Um, look, we're in my world. It will maybe shift away from the more technical parts of the world. I, I'm, you know, there's there's good, there's less of an emphasis on rapidly scaling consumer bases at all costs. Um, so, yeah. uh, getting costs under control, getting fraud under control, is now a topic of conversation. A hundred percent. Swept under the rug, right? I mean, you you can emphasize that I'm sure. It was user acquisition for the last 10 years. Even if 50 million of those weren't, weren't real people, they were just 10 million people trying to get your welcome gift a bunch of times. User acquisition is no longer the number one thing. It's how much value are you getting per user? That's what it is. Exactly. Now. Exactly. And we we just need to to work together to help each other to bring costs down and and I I see the world of consolidation, you know it, it, when when times were good we could you could spend on on ten different tools, uh, you got to be smart now and go actually if if my customer experience has to be the best, let's go back to first principles. Is it about buying five different risk scoring models? We're actually fundamentally going, how do we check someone out using Face ID? And I think that's going to be exciting uh, in the world of, I guess, four tools and management. Uh, it's, a, it's why we exist. Uh, and I guess lastly, um, look, it's the world of, you know, the metaverse. Uh, is, is it, ah. you know, are yeah. We, are we at the year? I'll get to throw that in, you know, because, you know, are we, are we, are we at the point where where gaming, where there's a new generation of people literally yeah. living their lives in those digital worlds? And and how what does that mean for transactions and trust? Um, you know, it's it's it may not be a big trend, but it's something that I'm, you know, love to just connect with people anyway. Um, yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Okay, and, and I, I think that like we we all do make fun of Zuckerberg when he like puts up his metaverse with like no legs type posts, you know. But there's gonna be something there just like with with crypto came the blockchain you know like there's something there there's always something that comes out of these these ideas no matter how ridiculous we might think they they sound eventually like it settles into something is that, does that make sense like something comes out of it that becomes useful in the long run of these things well it, there are big economies in the gaming world that will blow your mind <laughs> When you start yeah. looking at the numbers, I think yeah. you got to take it seriously. 
Yeah. And I think that like, um, you know, like the, that, that Spielberg movie that they did where like, and everybody's like, oh, Zuckerberg's trying to make that. Well, like there are people and lots of them that would prefer to live in that universe. So there is yeah. going to be like, once they figure it out, like there will be millions of people that will be in these things every single day and they will be spending real world, real money in those things. And they'll be making money. Yeah. There will be metaverse jobs and all of those things. So, I mean, it, it's fun to joke about, but at the same time, keep that eye kind of focused on it a little bit because we might see something come out of that pretty quickly here. So, yeah, you wanted me to go, you wanted me to go blue sky. So I've really gone there and avoided chat GPT. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I have not gone into chat GPT yet. And like, I was, uh, I was joking around with somebody, uh, actually it was uh, another guy in the fraud industry and he was like, I'm going to go write a song with it. Cause I know, um, this Brick Beato guy that I watch, he wrote a song with it too. And I was like thinking about just going to try and put up a joke video of me chat BGPTing like some super emo song that just came out with like <laughs> lyrics that were just completely AI created just to see what it sounds like, but it might not be bad. Who knows? Uh, put it on, put it on and I'll listen to your next podcast. I'll be on this. Time. It'll be a special edition episode uh, with my new song. Uh, well, thank you very much for, for giving me your time today. Like I said, I will put all the links to your site on here. There is a free trial on there for up to a thousand users, everybody. So if it's something you want to check out on your own site, it's very possible to do. There's a lot of information. I will put your contact information in there. I'll put your LinkedIn. Uh, I'll put links to like the demo stuff on here, uh, whatever, whatever we need to do to make sure that people are aware of it. But I think it's a really clever product that's addressing a space that is underserved in our particular markets. So um, I wish you guys the best of luck and we're definitely going to be keeping in touch. So yeah, any final thoughts? <laughs> uh, final thoughts is, you know, just to add on to that, we're friendly folk here at OffSignal. Um, we try not to sell you things. We try and learn and understand. So just happy to just pick up the phone if you just want to yell at someone and vent some frustrations. Happy to be that person as well. So now thank you, Jordan. Uh, and yeah. next time I'm uh, we we're only direct flight away from LA uh, and, and maybe we can bump to each other next time I'm in the OC. Yeah, we'll get some dinner, some drinks. Well, thank you very much again for coming on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate your time and uh, I'll be seeing you soon. All right.